the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. This week our focus is on the mining industry in Ireland and Lidl Ireland's move into designer fashion. In the first part of the show, you'll hear veteran Irish serial investor John Teeling talk about the ups and downs of mining and exploration in Ireland, while Peter Hamilton of the Irish Times tells his story from underground and tar mines in County Mead. In the second half of the show, Fiona Redden of the Irish Times will explain why German discounter Lidl has opened a pop-up shop on Grafton Street and its plans to launch a range of designer fashion items with supermodel Heidi Klum. Don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. We'll start with mining. Now, Peter, you've done uh, an agenda piece for this Friday's Irish Times about the mining sector, mining and resource sector in Ireland. And we've quite a history. People might not realise this, but we do actually have quite a history in it uh, in many ways. We've had some very big uh, lead and zinc mines in Ireland, Galmoy, Tara, uh, Lachine. And of course, we've had a couple of big uh, gas discoveries off the coast, Corrib uh, most recently, but also Kinsale some time back. Not so much luck on the oil side, but uh, maybe you can talk us through what your, what your research found. Yeah, so absolutely. So Lachine and Galmoy were big ones. Currently, there's Tara mines up in Nahumber, County Mead. Tara is Ireland's biggest at the moment. Uh, it's one of the biggest in Europe. I it would is thought. indeed. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, with with a fairly significant uh, ore output, zinc output. Uh, so so Tara is important in the mining and resources sector. Very often, what it seems to have happened uh, in this country is that people are promised the moon, the earth, and the stars, and and it doesn't come to pass. Uh, but as I say, Tara, one of the more successful ones. This is investors. You mean uh, Tara is owned by Belayden, of course. Which it is, is a, a Swedish company. Yeah, big yeah. Uh, a big company in that sector. But it's very important locally, though, as well, isn't it? What about six hundred people employed there? Yeah, just uh, including contractors. Uh, I think it's just shy of six hundred. Uh, so it is absolutely very important to the town and has been a lifeline for that town. You would imagine, um, and and they at the moment they forecast that they'll be able to keep going there until twenty twenty six. I think they're working on new discoveries at the moment called Tara Deep and, and, and that could extend the lifeline a bit beyond that. But at the moment, it's fairly positive uh, in terms of what's what's up there. Right. Now, oil, not such a good story mm. to be told on oil and particularly for Providence Resources, which had a couple of uh, what they thought were good prospects off the coast of Ireland, but they've effectively come up dry, if you like, over the, over the summer. Yeah, Druid, uh, the Druid prospect uh, off the southwest coast a couple, just in August, actually, uh, so they established there that that was a reservoir full of water and more re- recently the lower Drumbeg prospect uh, that that also came to nothing they thought there would be uh, bitumen there and, and it came to nothing so in that sector it's currently it's certainly been a worrying month uh, more than anything else uh, and not good for Providence share price absolutely not uh, I'm not sure of the exact drop up to this point but certainly after the Druid prospect it was a 16% drop I'm not sure how, how yeah in London been. I think where the main listing is it was uh, it was 29% it might be a good time to bring in John Teeling I, I think they describe you as a veteran of the industry uh, John you've had many investments uh, across the sector over the years. Uh, tell us when you first got involved in sort of mining exploration. And of course, you're not just involved in Ireland, you're involved abroad as well. In many 1969, I'd uh, come back to UCD from the States and they wanted somebody, the mining companies, to do discounted cash flows by hand because there were no computers. So I joined Northgate, as it was at that stage, in June 69, and I'm still in the same room. So I haven't progressed very far in 48 years. This um, is Clontarf Road, you're talking about Clontarf Road, yes. Road. And uh, I was involved with Tara when it was discovered and it was actively involved with Tara from discovery up to 1985 at which stage we set up our first exploration companies ourselves in 83 
Yeah. So how many have you had over the years? Probably 15. Okay. How much money have you made? Um, I've made more than I've lost. <laughs> how much money have you lost? Uh, I was looking at one particular company today, and don't ask me, where myself and one of my colleagues, we've put in more than a million each, and it's gone at the moment. So right. you have to get the odd winner. We've had two or three good winners over about 40 years, but that's all. It's a high-risk business. Yeah. T- tell us about those winners. Well, probably the best one is the one that you know in the last few years was African Diamonds, where people, uh, African Diamonds, which was in Botswana, yeah, and, and it's 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 uh, sibling now or its child is Botswana Diamonds is the latest version of it. We put up maybe a couple of hundred thousand pounds for that, and that would, at one stage would have been worth maybe seventy million, so it was good. And we we sold out to Lacara. We couldn't get the money in the UK to develop the wine ourselves. And um, the Lundin Group bought it out, and it's been very successful for them. It's a fabulous mine. It's as good as ever they we would have promoted to shareholders. We were involved in Tara. Some of the zinc in the 70s was very good. Those shares, though, I was only a small shareholder. I went from, I think, two and sixpence in old money to about $50 before they came right back. And, of course, Tara's had a checkered history, I suppose. I mean, it has been closed at various points because of industrial relations, troubles, and, uh, you know, zinc prices obviously go up and down. So that has been problematic for them. And, and Peter spoke about how the life of the mine has been extended at various points. They thought that maybe they might be winding up operations, and then they always seem to find a little bit more to keep them going. It's a fabulous mine. Um, I would probably think even more more positively than Peter. In that, for, uh, at one stage, it was the biggest in the world. It's now, I think, the fifth biggest zinc mine in the world and was making about 25% of all Europe's demand for zinc, but also it does lead and silver. I think it's probably Europe's biggest silver mine. Um, they've recently announced a discovery uh, below the existing ore bodies by going deeper, which is probably the future for Irish zinc mining. That... Uh, they say we'll take it for another 10 years and, and the scuttlebutt in the industry is that they may have another 20 or 30 years. It's a magnificent mine. There must be 250 kilometres of underground tunnels there now. Most of the people around now wouldn't, wouldn't know where it is because it's entirely underground. But it's been a fabulous mine and a great mine for the, for the, the town. I looked at, at housing in that town for the workers in 1972 and there were 2,000 people in the town and sleepy was a good word for it. It was a very sleepy town and there's been 600 people um, plus the ancillary services going there for the last 40 years. So it's been a very so good millions mine. and millions have been generated for the, the local economy Hundreds over the years. Yeah, interesting. Now, you've got another company at the minute called Connemara Resources, and that has some uh, zinc licenses in Ireland, or at least a share of zinc licenses in Ireland. And you did a deal today, or a deal was done today in relation to those licenses with a Canadian company. Tell us about that. Connemara is, is almost a direct descendant of the original Irish Space Metals, though there is another. There are, there are a couple of descendants of it. And we've had zinc... Uh, uh, we're focused on zinc in Ireland and laterally gold when the price of zinc was, was low and, and it wouldn't be viable in Ireland. So uh, Connemara has 35 licences, mainly zinc. We have gold exploration activities in Donegal and gold exploration activities in uh, Wicklow-Wexford. But the zinc that we did today, there was a very good discovery about 2007 in the Palace Green area of Limerick and across the road, that, that's owned by Glencore, and across the road which Connemara had, in Stone Park. And we've joined venture that with one of the biggest companies in the world at the time, Tech in Zinc, which is a great company, fabulous company in Zinc. And they expanded into other um, areas such as shale oil and coal and didn't do so well in that to the extent that they, they didn't have the money to drill. So they drilled until about 2011, 135 holes, very good prospect, but needs a lot more. They haven't had the money to drill for the last four or five years. So this uh, a company called uh, group 11, 
an Irish-Canadian company with some experienced Irish geologists and Canadian mining analysts have come in and taken a lot of ground in Ireland and they are actually at the forefront of a wave of, of Canadian companies. There's eight of them now exploring, new ones exploring in Ireland. They have come in, they've taken Ballinalac and today they, they announced that they've taken 76% of the Stone Park licences from, they've taken the tech interest. We have held our interest because we believe there's great potential either in Stone Park on its own or across the road, Stone Park and, and Glencore, where there's 42 million tonnes of zinc. That will be developed. Now, I don't know when it will be developed, but it's big enough and one of the biggest undeveloped zinc ore bodies in the world at the moment. But it's taken 10 years just to get to this point and you're still, it sounds like you're still some years away from developing. Yes, it is. But that, that's the nature of the beast. And uh, people find that very hard uh, to understand that from the time you go into a field to drill a hole, if you are successful, and very few of us are ever successful, is it could be 10 or 15 years um, minimum. We, we found African diamonds. We found the, the Lucara deposit in, in November 2004, and it came on stream in 2012, and that was fast. So um, this thing, is, it's long-term. The work we're doing in Donegal, where we're, we're in about a third phase drilling, eight or ten years away from any kind of commercial development. And why is that? Is it, is it just because it takes a long time to prove these things? Yes, it does. That's or in, in a word. is there a regulatory environment here in Ireland which is also prohibitive? The, the Irish environment is very good in that you have certainty of title, which is absolutely critical, and you don't have that in many places. You also have it very clear what you're supposed to do, which is also very good. Well, let's say you bring zinc up from Stone Park. Um, what does the state get out of it? Because it's a natural resource which is owned by the state, owned by the people. 25% profits and possibly a royalty. So it's not bad. Um, it's, it's twice How does the, that compare twice, with other countries? Twice the industrial. It depends on the country. Some of them, it depends on, on the mineral. You'd okay. have in Botswana, you'd have on diamonds, you'd have more than 50%. Um, in other countries, you'd have no tax at all, depending on what they want to do. But the regulatory environment here is good. The environmental regulations are also uh, strict but fair. This is uh, not, It's not a problem that you have to observe modern Mm. Um, environmental uh, and uh, welfare and health and safety regulations. Uh, most of the new mines in Europe are in Scandinavia, where the rules are at least as tough. So it just takes time. If, you f if we found something today, um, we would have to do a couple of things. You have a drilling program that will go for to prove up what you have. That could take, they drilled 400 holes in Tara before they decided it was commercial. We have 135 holes drilled in, in Limerick and we have nothing yet. And if you then decide it looks like you're commercial, you do a, pre, you, you do a scoping study, a pre-feasibility and a bankable feasibility. All of those take years. And um, then you have to finance it and you have to build it. The building of a zinc mine is only maybe a couple of years. That's not the biggest part of it. And the technology is not that advanced. As an underground mine, you have to drive the tunnels. And that takes time. So it's capital intensive and time intensive. Mm. Is it environmentally friendly? It, it, sh it shouldn't be against the environment because it's all underground. And as I said to you, I doubt if anybody has seen um, uh, the, the, the Tara head frames. It's covered up there and everything else is underground on that. It doesn't have to be against the environment at all. Uh, Peter, you were actually in the tunnels. Uh, you went around Tara mines and uh, I mean, well, you, you observed it. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about that. What's life uh, like underground and did it come across as environmentally friendly to you? I don't, I don't know about environmentally friendly. It was, uh, it was a very interesting place uh, and and they've done great work down there. Uh, they, you know, Tara, in fairness to them, they keep their vehicles underground because they have garages underground that service the vehicles. Uh, when the workers go in in the morning, they don't come up again, so the, the trucks don't drive up again throughout the day. 
I, I don't know how environmentally friendly it is at the same time because there's there's still you know there's st- still issues with diesel trucks going underground and, and all that and, and the things they emit. But uh, on the whole, Tara's operation seems to be not bad. They they um, they crush up the rocks underground and they're transported up on a on a kind of conveyor belt type thing. Um, I mean, it, it's 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 a very as I say, it's a very interesting spot and and. You know, it, it's very impressive there. Right, it um, sounds like you enjoyed it. Now, John mentioned goals uh, in his, uh, a little earlier, and uh, there's been one high-profile shareholder dispute at an Irish PLC this year, hasn't there, involving Conroy Gold. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. Conroy Gold and Natural Resources. Earlier this summer, uh, Patrick O'Sullivan, uh, a 28% shareholder, launched a, um, launched a bid to get directors removed from the board uh, He wanted to change to the top of the company He did, essentially. yeah, he wanted a board reduced in size and he wanted to be on the board with, with a couple of other people uh, Patrick, like a lot of shareholders in this industry is getting a bit frustrated at the time it takes, now John was talking about the time it takes, uh, with Conroy Gold it seems to have taken quite a long time How long has he invested? Uh, Patrick has been in since 2009. And how much and, has he put in? He's put in over a million, I think it's 1.8 And is he underwater on in his investment? Uh, he's been asked, he was, he was asked Patrick has topped up his investment over the past few years. My understanding is that last year he topped it up again. Uh, this year uh, he got a, he got a bit uh, of cold feet, I think, to, to some degree, and uh, is getting a bit annoyed at the board uh, and the lack of progress that's being made. And the company is being run by Professor Richard been, Conroy, who's, uh, I suppose, a, and who is a, very, long, like, a veteran like, of the industry as well. And like John, is very optimistic about the prospect. And this is the thing. Very often the people at the top of these companies are very optimistic about the prospect. Trying to make that optimism into business uh, or, or into money is, is troublesome. And, you know, it causes some investors to get a bit unhappy at points. Like Patrick O'Sullivan, we have, there's another, there's a case involving uh, Conroy tomorrow. There's a, a hearing uh, in the High Court and there's another EGM coming up in the next couple of weeks. So that story is very much still developing and, and it's not clear what will happen to Professor Richard Conroy, whether the company that he set up and, and worked yeah. so hard to maintain. John, any survive. thoughts on Conroy Golden, the dispute going on there? I'm well, sure you're firstly, watching it from ex- the explorers um, have to be optimistic. Um, if I'm a pessimist, why would I put my money into the ground down the mile or in, into offshore Ireland into two kilometres of water and 2.2 kilometres of rock? We are optimists. We, we believe that we can beat the odds. It's very high risk as well. And it is not for widows and orphans. It shouldn't be because I just got figures this morning. In the last six years in Ireland, it's been estimated that the total expenditure and exploration has been 100 million in the last six years across all the companies in Ireland. That's onshore now. That's not including offshore. Offshore will be factor times that, maybe half a billion. So we're talking oh, about zinc, gold. Zinc, gold, lithium in, in, in Wicklow. Uh, and essentially, that's it. And all that money is lost so far. Nothing has been discovered. And uh, yes, people get frustrated. Uh, I can understand the situation of both the shareholders because you can lose 90, 95% of your money or indeed lose all of your money, though that hasn't happened. And you, you see that the directors are there and that they are doing and not doing because it just takes the time that you said it takes a long time to get any place. When times are bad, as they have been in resources since 2009, really bad, there has been no money available in London, no exploration money. Um, and this is because of the backdrop for commodity prices? Absolutely, and because of the recession and because the people who had the money that they want to speculate are not there. So you, you find it very hard to get money, which means you cut back on exploration, but your overhead still runs. And with the best will in the world, if you have an aim-listed company, mm. it's costing you at least uh, four or 5000 a week minimum just to keep it aim-listed, though you're doing nothing. 
So over four or five years, that can cost a million pounds of shareholders' money goes into nothing actually happening. But there is no alternative to do that. And there's recently now, and maybe this explains some of it, uh, there is there would be green shoots out there. There are signs that this is turning around, as I said, mainly with the Canadian explorers coming into Ireland and zinc, and zinc is expensive. So it's not surprising that what's going on in Conroy, um, he's been around a long time. He, he, he was in charge of Conroy uh, when it discovered Galmoy and, and developed that, and he was involved in Irish offshore before that. So um, it's hard to know how it'll pan out. Yeah, let's talk about offshore, because obviously we've had a couple of big gas discoveries, Kinsale and Carb, not without a controversy, it must be said. But uh, in terms of oil, um, we we just, I, I mean, we've been talking about oil discoveries, potential oil discoveries off the coast of Ireland for as long as I can remember. But we've never managed to uh, bring anything ashore. We've never, you know, managed to prove it. And Providence has had a couple of recent disappointments, as Peter was mentioning earlier. I mean, is there oil there? Do you think there's oil there? And is it commercial? I can think the first one is easier to answer than the second one. Um the problem with the Irish offshore, the porcupine is very big and the Celtic Sea is a different basin, so there are different types of, of plays. Um, there are not enough holes that have been drilled. You have to drill holes to find things. With the best will in the world and the best seismic and the best geophysics and the, and the best everything else, you're putting maybe a five or six or a ten inch hole two and a half miles into the ground to find something. And uh, that's not easy to do. And they, the work that has been done, uh, Providence has done fabulous work, they just haven't been successful. But exploration is a negative sum game. Worldwide in all resources, more money is lost in exploration than is made in mining. So the people, it's, they must realise that. We all hope we're going to get the 10 bagger or the 100 baggers where you make 100 times your money, like African diamonds. And um, I, the, I, I think the geology and the specialists tell us that there's oil in the porcupine. They say you have to go and find it and some of these plays that are run out. And the best companies in the world... Um, exploration specialists have said, look, this is where you should drill, like you should drill Druid and you should drill, drill Drumbeg. And they've been wrong. And that's using the best and most available uh, and most modern technology and using 3D seismic and all various things like that because it is exploration. So there's a lot more holes are needed. The trouble with the porcupine is it's been very expensive to drill holes. I think the, the one that was done by Exxon, uh, where problems at stake, was 200 million for one hole. Now, that's kind of serious money and only very large companies can do that. Mm. Um, and, of course, the price of oil is depressed. At that's right. At, at $50, it's hardly viable um, because it is expensive, it is deep, and it's a long way from shore. So if you're a betting man, do you think we'll ever bring oil ashore? Yes. I would. Uh, I, I think you probably expect me to say that. Uh, um, we have we have an offshore company called Petrol, which is joint venture with Woodside, which is doing very good work, spending big money. Um, we got the blocks, and then they came in and partnered with us. But there is a need for more holes, and drilling one hole every two years or every five years is not enough. Um, I, How I many think do you need? You. Could, I said we drilled 135 holes, and we don't know what's in Limerick yet. I believe that uh, Glencore across the way have drilled 450 holes. Now, they're much cheaper, but you could probably see a need for, for and I, I don't know this number, I'm now really, I'm, I'm a money man, I'm not, I'm not a geologist, but you need for tens of more, if not scores of more holes to be drilled to find out. There's, there is a high geological probability of there being oil. If it's out there, it should be very big. That's mm -hmm. the point you were asking me about commercialisation. The structures are very large, so you could see something like a billion barrels in, in situ, of which maybe a couple of hundred million is recoverable. But it's a big boys game. Uh, it needs to be drilled. It's as simple as that. You can't find it without drilling. Nothing else will find it. Yeah. Uh, what about fracking? Uh, it's been mentioned in the Irish context. It's been very successful in the US. They're now self-sufficient uh, in terms of oil, aren't they? Oil and gas. 
which wasn't the case uh, some years ago. Uh, it's proved controversial in Europe. There's been some of it uh, in the UK and it's proved very controversial and there's been talk of it in Ireland and again a lot of protests towards it. Where, where do you stand on fracking? I think in the US it's made, made complete sense. Um, you have your pipelines there. The, the structures are suitable to it. It has evolved dramatically in the last six or seven years so that it's now viable at $50 oil, which it wasn't six or seven years ago. Um, it, it has made the US self-sufficient. If Europe doesn't do it, and they probably won't, well, then they're going to be they're going to be dependent on either Russian gas or American oil, they, which are, or Saudi oil, whichever they want. Mm. Um, what about renewables? Though? Will renewables? Uh, I think renewables will certainly come, but I mean, fossil fuels are going to last for a very long time. Um, you know, certainly in, in, in the economic lifetime of any of the companies we're talking about now, uh, 40 or 50 years, I don't know how long, uh, how long it will last. But I, I think there's a lot of misinformation as there is about resources in general. Uh, there may even be misinformation about renewables as well going on there. People have their own views of that and they're entitled to be heard. Um, I don't know if Ireland is that suitable for fracking, which may be a good thing to avoid complaints. I think it needs to be explored in certain areas. I just don't know enough to know. They thought that Poland was very big, very good for it and the work that's been done in Poland has not been successful. Um, certainly the US is leading the way in this. The technology will become standard. Any worries will have to be fixed. Um, and you're not going to move on until it becomes a really reasonably stable technology. And But it certainly has a place to play in, in certain countries. Whether or not it's in the British Isles or not, I don't know. Yeah. Peter, following your research, what's the future for mining in Ireland? Uh, that's difficult to say. I think, you know, with the work that's going on and the optimism out there, I'm sure it's relatively bright uh, if there are people willing to spend the money on it. And people to back it. It's it's just it's so expensive, and you have you really the risk. As Tony O'Reilly told me, and as Patrick O'Sullivan told me, Tony O'Reilly Junior, Tony O'Reilly Junior, rather um, uh, of Providence, uh, the risk. You know, it's a hundred to one are the chances of of getting something out of the ground. There's in a lot of these cases there might well be something there, but people have to be patient uh, and and have to be willing to put up with perhaps losing big sums in the process. Yeah. Um. John, don't think this is impertinent, but you've been at this a long time. Uh, I think you're in your 70s now. And, barely, barely. <laughs> and you seem as enthusiastic as ever uh, about the prospects that you have uh, on your plate, as it were. What motivates you to keep going in this? Given that, I mean, you mentioned earlier some of the losses you've incurred. Uh, yeah, and they keep you awake at night. But is that not a good thing that leaves for some reason to stay awake at night? I have an alternative between, you know, searching for gold and diamonds and oil or playing golf or following horses. Uh, what would you do if you have that choice? What's the handicap? Uh, I don't know. I don't play. The <laughs> handicap is the game. And I've no interest in horses, uh, eating them or owning them or backing them. And I don't sail. Um, I'm very lucky, blessed in that the things I do are exciting. As you say, this is, you know, if you have money riding on a hole, now, you know, all I can say is God help Tony O'Reilly waiting in the last couple of weeks for a $50 million hole or whatever it cost him to come in or not. Now, that, it's exciting. It keeps you awake. It's a reason for a living. It's not a boring existence. Um, we always believe we're going to hit. And in fact, I'd be much more optimistic than Peter. I suppose I have to be. The amount of work being done on zinc exploration, and it's been done by the early stage adventurers, exploration companies, Hannon Minerals, Zinc Mines of Ireland, which nobody's ever heard of, an Australian company, Advent, uh, Altius, um, uh, to, to name but three. And some of them are going deeper. They're using most modern technology. Doesn't prove uh, uh, certain. And... What you hear, the scuttlebutt around is that there have been some good results. I would be very surprised that over the next three or four years, um, there's not, uh, particularly at the price of zinc at $3,000, 
that there is not um, a decision to how to, to look to do a bankable feasibility study, which is the important stage. You don't know. In other words, they say there is there is an economically viable zinc deposit there. Now, can we make it commercial? And I'd like to be, I hope I'm, I hope I'll be part of that. It's only a few years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen, we wish you well with that, John Taylor. Thank you for coming in and thank you, Peter Hamilton. All right, we'll take a short break now. When we return, Fiona Redden will tell us all about Little Ireland's move into designer fashion. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Now, welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. For this part of the show, I'm joined in studio by Fiona Redden of the Irish Times to discuss Lidl's move into designer fashion. Before I get into that conversation, don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes. And it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Now, German discounter Lidl is best known in Ireland for its big box grocery retailing. But this week, it has actually taken a bit of a step away from its comfort zone, if you like, by opening a pop-up shop on Grafton Street. It was noticed by my colleague, Fiona Redden, while she was uh, sauntering along Grafton Street on her way to the office. Uh, Fiona, tell us all about this. What's, what's it all about? Lidl on Grafton Street. It can't be true. It is true, or at least it's true until the Sunday, because tomorrow, September 14th, they're opening their first pop-up shop in Ireland. It's a fashion shop on Grafton Street, and it's to um, preview their new collection that they've um, prepared with Heidi Klum. Mm. So people might know her, a German supermodel. She was on America's Top Model. And she has designed a new range called Esmara with Lidl and is going to be launched worldwide on Monday. Now, if you happen by the shop tomorrow, you can go in, have a look at the clothes, maybe try tomorrow them on. Tomorrow being Thursday. Tomorrow, say, yeah. Thursday, excuse me. Yeah. And, but you can't purchase in the shop because you can only actually purchase the clothes in your Lidl outlet and they're going to be there on Monday. Right. So what was this shop used for previously? It was a cafe, the Loft Cafe. Okay, and it's, a, oh, it's just obviously a just a short-term, short-term lease. Short-term lease, yeah. It's for a few days. It's for a few days. And this is a showcase in advance of the launch in Ireland, formal launch on Monday. That's right. And it's it's unusual, I mean, to see the Lidl brand on Grafton Street, which many people, or it's supposed to be, you know, the premium retail yeah. street and it's quite in a departure, Ireland, isn't it? the because they've, they've about 150 stores around the country, mm. but we know them for groceries and we know them for selling tools paint and, and paint and step ladders and garden furniture and moss peat and all yeah. of that kind of uh, yeah. stuff. But we don't associate them with um, maybe leather jackets or skinny jeans. Well, not jeans necessarily. I mean, I think it's about 2014 they started moving into fashion. And you'll see that right across the supermarket sector. Tesco, for example, Sainsbury's in the UK. They've all um, done quite well with their fashion I ranges. can attest to Sainsbury's socks, actually. They're very good quality. They're good quality. <laughs> um, OK, well, listen, we, we need to uh, find out the view of the general public uh, as to whether or not they'd be prepared to buy suede jackets, etc. in Lidl. Uh, my colleague Jennifer Ryan went out on the street in Grafton Street and she grabbed a few people in a Vox Pop and here's what they had to say. Would you buy designer clothes from Lidl? Yeah, probably if I like them and they're not too overpricey. What would you pay 60 quid for a coat? Yeah, I would, yeah. That's not too bad. Yeah, I would. I seen that walking past and I didn't know what it was. Like, I thought it was like just new like upcoming designer or something. What's the maximum you'd pay for an item in there? Well, like... For a coat and stuff, I'd probably pay like a hundred euro. Yeah, I would. He wouldn't. <laughs> I would. I'd shop a little. I'd buy stuff, but himself wouldn't. <laughs> and would you pay sixty quid for a suede coat in there? 
No, not our little. No, it seems a bit weird spending 60 quid on something little. <laughs> Even if it's Heidi Klum's name attached to it? No, wouldn't appeal to me, no. And how about yourself? No chance. Very fashionable looking gentleman. Would you not go for some designer clothes out of Lidl? No way. Cost effective? Oh, it'd have to be Bernal Thomas or something. <laughs> I think you've seen a lot of things recently with like Tesco bringing out like lines of clothing and that kind of stuff. And I think like the, the smaller kind of brands, the cheaper brands are getting better and better and better. And I think a lot of... Especially, I suppose I can only really speak for for lads, but I think pennies is becoming a lot more acceptable, and then it'll probably only become a matter of time before things like you know little brand clothing or even Tesco brand, you know, as long as the stuff is good, then then it'll be good. I saw Paul Galvin recently brought out a thing with uh, Dunn Stores. I think he's doing a lot of work with that. So, you know, as long as the lines get get more and more impressive, and if you've got people like Heidi Klum and Little, it was I remember seeing the headline about it. It's kind of unusual, but. I think I suppose as as the quality gets better and it gets a better reputation, more people will probably buy it and it won't become so important that it's, you know, from Lidl or that it's from Tesco or that it's from Pennies and that kind of stuff. So, Designer gear at Lidl for less, would you be tempted? No, because you couldn't trust the quality of it. I don't care if her name's behind it. Like, you just couldn't trust the quality of it. Um, I'd probably look at it. I don't know whether it's better here on Grafton Street um, as opposed to being in the little shop because you can pass it here, I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah, I would, yeah. I'd also check out the quality too and design. If it if suited, I'd spend it, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, I like the, particularly like that suit. Why not? It looks, I mean, it's, it looks like she has a nice range. The fact that it's from Little wouldn't bother me at all. And it's a great price point. Okay, Fiona, uh, an interesting range of views. There are some people uh, happy to sort of jump in and have a look and others uh, very wary, if you like, of buying clothes in, in Lidl, um, which I guess is understandable because they're better known uh, for the grocery sector. Maybe you could just take us through the, the range, as we know it so far anyway. What, what exactly are they going to be selling? Well, I think as far as I know, it's a 20-piece collection. So you've got blazers, skinny jeans, boots, shoes, bags, scarves, all those like what accessories. What kind of price points are you talking about? 60, 59.99 for real suede jacket. Mm. Um, depends, maybe the quality of the suede mightn't be as good as, you know, more expensive item. You've got um, leopard, a lot of leopard print now. Heidi Klum likes her leopard print. Okay. Whole leopard print suit. I, you might be seeing lots of... me out, I reckon. <laughs> seeing plenty of them around the office now next and week. And for men and women? Or? It's just, well, she, it's just women at the it's moment. It's just women at the moment, okay. But Lidl do, do men's clothes in their shops as well. And I mean, it's interesting that they have done on Grafton Street because it might change people's perceptions seeing it there and then going into the Lidl shop rather than seeing it in the Lidl shop for the first time. Mm. Now, no changing rooms. Will that be a, a bit of an issue? Well, I mean, you can throw on your, your real suede jacket, your leopard print in the shop. And <laughs> well, I might get a bit <laughs> take thumbed a selfie, and so forth. If lots of people are trying it on but and leaving it back, it might get a bit... Yeah, well, they have virtual mirrors, they tell us, which means that you can put your hand up onto the screen and it'll look like you're wearing the jacket or the outfit, which mm-hmm. is quite a good idea if it works. And why are they targeting this market? I mean, it's again, it's a trend that's seen, isn't it, across the supermarket sector. Look at John's stores. I mean, I don't know if you've been into one of their larger supermarkets of late. They've I was had quite a revamp, you know. Quite a revamp. I was in Cornell's Court at the weekend um, out in South Dublin. And it's they've given so much more retail space to their brands. The, their own Dunn Stores brand is getting smaller and smaller in the amount of products they stock. I was looking for a baking tray. They don't stock them anymore. And if they do, any of those items are now in the grocery section. Um, so yeah, it must be said that uh, Dunn stores tend to have separate fashion uh, departments they, from the grocery. But if you go into Lidl, you're just going to be in one big box, which is selling everything. And, you know, without being 
I don't mean any disrespect to Lidl, they're obviously very successful and, and so forth, but it's a bit of a soulless experience, really. It is, yes, but maybe that's what people want, Kieran. It's quick, it's easy. Get your potatoes, get your bottle of wine. Your suede jacket. Get your <laughs> suede jacket. You know, I mean, we all know how Lidl work at the, the cash desk. They have to scan a certain amount of items within a certain amount of time. You know, it's a very quick experience. Yeah, OK. Mm. Um, so will you be tempted, Fiona? I'll have to wait and see. Right. <laughs> OK. That's, as, uh, that, that's sitting on the fence, I think we can, uh, we can safely say. But anyway, we'll see how it goes. It's launching on Monday? On Monday in supermarkets across the country. Right. And at the weekend, for the next three days, four days, you can go into Grafton Street. And, and any chance that Heidi Klum is going to come here to promote it? Possibly over time. I mean, it should be stressed that it was Lidl Ireland's idea to do the pop-up shop. Don't see them having one in New York or other, you know, big cities around the world. So. Okay. And any sense that Aldi might follow suit? Obviously, they're great rivals and they ape each other's business models, etc. They do. We haven't seen anything as of yet. All right. Okay. We'll see how it develops. Fiona Redden, thank you for joining us. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to John Teeling, Peter Hamilton and Fiona Redden. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.